Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Banter on the Parkway. I am your host, Brian, from BannersOnTheParkway.com. Uh, and I'm joined, as always, by Brad. Now, Brad, this week, I'm going to go with, uh, you're looking like Jason Statham, except with slightly more acting range. Oh, wow. I will 100% take that. He's one of my favorite not-acting actors. Um, I think if you throw he and Nicolas Cage into a shipping container, lock it, and tell them the first guy to act his way out of it gets to live. Uh, you open that thing weeks later, and they're both still standing in there looking at each other. I don't know if you have an accurate idea of how long someone can go without food and water, but um, they definitely both would not be standing there looking at Like, you don't have any pets, do you? <laughs> <laughs> not None that seem to live beyond like a couple weeks. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'll tell you what, maybe uh, have your wife do most of the child care. Um, <laughs> I'm just <laughs> going out on a limb here <laughs> saying you might not be totally well equipped for that. <laughs> anyway. Can we at least get it on the record that I don't lock my children in shipping containers before I become like part of a CSB investigation? Yeah, I think that's fair. Because uh, you can't afford a shipping container. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's not that's not true um we also are are joined by joel so joel i i understand your family was divided over the super bowl um have you been able to kind of you know navigate some treacherous waters there and keep everyone on your side or is there is there a revolution brewing i'll be honest the shipping container i locked them all in has gone quiet since about this morning now, uh, did you know that there's only like 25 million shipping containers in the entire world? Eight billion people, all this stuff going back and forth and crashing in East Palestine, Ohio, 25 million total shipping containers. I figured there'd be more. That's actually like said. So if you live up here, that said Palestine for some reason. It's East Palestine, Ohio. I have no idea why. It like depending on where in Ohio you come from is how you pronounce Amherst or Amherst, but people up here say it Palestine for some reason. Or Versailles or Rusi, like all of these. I don't like to lean into Ohio being full of ignorant hicks, but then when we can't pronounce Versailles and Russia and apparently Palestine, <laughs> it kinda kinda undercutting our own argument here, guys. Maybe we should stop naming cities after foreign nations. That could be the problem yeah if we make okay. up the word then we can make up how it's said right like Bucyrus, or if you prefer Bucyrus. <laughs> i so i used to live uh right next to land between the lakes kentucky where there was a a town named after cadiz in spain and one day i was driving there and i'm like i'm going to cadiz and no one knew where the heck i was going i'm like guys it's like 20 minutes away and they're like oh you mean Cadiz?" And I'm like, what? It's not her. It doesn't belong to her. <laughs> so anyway, uh, that was confusing. Um, but anyway, Xavier was in action this week. Um, <clears throat> kind of. I, I, I think we're going to pronounce this right. Butler, who <laughs> plays in 
I know I'm pronouncing this right, a gosh dang barn. Um, Xavier 67, Butler 69. So uh, there were some talking points from this game that we're going to get into a little later. Um, specifically, <clears throat> well, referee-based talking points. Um, as always at Hinkle Field House, where Butler has never won a game fair and square. Um, but Brad, I mean, what was this? What was uh, this? Shouldn't have been this close of a game for Xavier. What was um, wrong with their performance? Don't say everything. Oh, but you, you kind of cut me off at the knees there then. Uh, yeah. We offensive rebounded pretty well. Um, our defensive rebounding was also really good. So other than that, though, uh, not a lot went right. I listened to this game at work. Um, I worked nights and weekends. I was out of my car, got back into it. Turned it on thinking, oh, we should be waxing these guys. And I just heard somebody say 21 to 8. But I hadn't heard them say, uh, Joe hadn't announced who was leading 21 to 8. So I spent that first commercial break thinking we were up 13 after 10 minutes of play. And I'm like, wow, this is going really well. To my horror, then when we came back, he said Butler with a 13-point lead. And I'm like, that simply cannot be right. Like, Butler is terrible at basketball this year. They've been in the bottom well, they've been below 250th, I think, since Big East play started. Xavier is allegedly good at basketball. But, I mean, not everything went wrong, since you won't let me say that. And we did rebound relatively well. But it was Xavier's highest turnover rate of the year, their worst offensive performance of the year. Uh, they shot the ball terribly behind the arc. Well, terribly for this year behind the arc. Had they done this last year, I think we might have thrown them a parade on the way back. Uh it was just awful, awful. There's no excuse to lose to Butler ever. There's certainly no excuse to get blasted in the first 10 minutes and then never be able to crawl all the way back in, quite all the way back into it. I mean, it was just, and Butler was missing Chuck Harris. I don't, it defies explanation. I don't, Xavier was atrocious. Uh, Jack Nunji started terribly and never really fixed it he was two for his first eight i guess he was one for his last one from the floor so there's that but just a awful awful game no excuse to lose to that team jerome hunter reverted to the jerome hunter of last year he looked tentative with the ball on offense at least for the first 20 minutes uh, it was bad just bad. I hate Butler and losing to them. I also hate Thad Mana. Losing to him is just leaves an awful taste in my mouth. I think one of the reasons Hunter probably looks tentative is because he is only, well, he's listed at 6'8", so he's probably like 6'6 in real life, but uh, there was no quarter given in the paint. Uh, Butler was doubling or tripling the block. Uh, there seemed to be a lot of contact to put it graciously, and not a whole lot was getting called. I think this is one of those games where the, all the concerns that we've had about Xavier kind of come to the fore because, especially without Zach Freeman, we basically go six guys deep. <clears throat> we have one game plan, and we have to execute it, and there is no like backup option. Like You can't throw your curveball in there and – you know, be like, oh, we're going to run a big lineup or we're going to run a small lineup. Like, we have one lineup right now. Um, sometimes we can shoehorn Des Claude into it. 
And that's about it. Like there are no gunners coming off the bench. There's no press. There's no like B plan on offense. We go inside, we work back outside. We try to keep the tempo up. When the tempo falls, we're not great. And, you know, Butler came out and kind of had the first eight or 10 minutes to themselves. And by the time Xavier got back into it, um, they couldn't get back into it. Um, you know, I think this one, we just kind of burn the tape and move on. This team is six players deep without Zach Fremantle. And when plan A doesn't work, there's just nothing to go to right now. I think one of the things this really emphasized for Xavier is that this defense means that the offense can never have an off night. Um, because if you look at how Butler has played since the beginning of Big East play, they're 203rd in the nation on Bart Torvik. It's 31 spots worse than DePaul, who's the second worst team in the Big East. So when you consider that the Big East has four, five teams in the top 27 in that span, um, there is a huge gap between Butler and everyone else since Big East play began. They've been horrendous. And during that time, they've been 313th on offense. So, um, I mean, among the nation's very worst offenses since the middle of December. But the way Xavier plays defense, um, even with that bad of an offense going against them, um, when Xavier's offense sputtered to start the game, Butler was able to build, you know, a 13-point lead in the first 10 minutes, and uh, that was too much for them to overcome without Zach Fremantle. So I think this really kind of pounded home the point that the way Xavier plays defense means they have to have their <laughs> offense looking very quickly, or they can get put in a hole that they can't find their way out of in a game because. As the game went on, Xavier couldn't get the stops put on a run. So um, I think this kind of, <clears throat> like Joel said, this is a game that, I mean, emphasized Xavier's lack of depth. Um, but I think that anytime you lose to a team as bad as Butler, it's going to tell you bad things about your team and nothing good to come out of it. So um one of the things that came out of this game, if you're looking for some good news, is that Sule Boom is hurt. Um, <laughs> Cetius, that's bad news. Uh, sprained his ankle um, on a play in the first half. That I mean, I don't, <laughs> I don't know if I was just mad for the sake of being mad. I thought it was a dirty pick by Manny Bates, um, and I thought it was like the ninth dirty pick that Butler had set up to that point. That the referees had been like, eh, "Go ahead." Uh, you know, it's kind of a suggestion that you stop while making a pick. It's not, you know, a hard and fast rule. But um, anyway, he sprained his ankle, but is expecting to play moving forward. So, um, Joel, I mean, you witnessed that. Am I mad for no reason? No, I think uh, moving forward is a good way to describe how Mandy Bates sets picks as well. <laughs> <laughs> The, the moving pick rule, so he, here's what the rule is. If you do a dribble handoff and the ref thinks he can do a big call, you'll get called for a moving pick. If you're not doing a dribble handoff, basically anything other than being the pulling guard, the refs generally let go. I don't like it, 
um, but it's a rule that rarely gets enforced. Uh, you do about 50 of them in a game. I think it'd be cool to see the refs call one or two, but they, I mean, they didn't. He tweaked his ankle real hard. He was clearly not himself. I uh, I thought Xavier was more effective with Des Claude out there with the other four starters than they were with Sule Boom for long stretches of the game. If I were the coach, which I'm not, uh, I'm not sure I'd have had Sule back in the game, but then he hit a three down the stretch and two game tying free throws. So, you know, I don't know exactly what to make of that. But the, I mean, we weren't, we weren't one moving pick away from winning this game, but I sure would have rather seen us have Sule Boom healthy because one or two more plays from him would have, uh, would have sure maybe made this one where we played like garbage and lost or played like garbage and won rather than playing like garbage and losing. Uh, you mentioned that our defense has been garbage. I was just looking at the, uh, the Ken Palm, our best, our best, best defensive efficiency in conference play is 96.9 against St. John's. So um, we've barely kept the team, barely kept the team we're playing under one point per possession in our very best defensive uh, showing. That's bad. If you guys are curious. I was about to ask. (laughs) Uh, It seemed bad, but Yeah, no, that, 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 that's horrible. If that's your bet, if that's the best you can do, which apparently it is, um, you're going to have to be an absolute flamethrower on offense. And if you're not, you will lose to Butler and DePaul. And that was, um, let me make sure I have this right. That was St. John's without David Jones. Correct. That, was that at St. John's that <laughs> we locked them down? That was home to St. John's. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. So St. John's without David Jones. Um, not great. <laughs> not, no, not so great. We used to zip them up and that was in reference to the defense really clamping down at the end of the game. And I think if you want to just kind of go with that analogy, essentially what we're doing is not zipping the body bag, at which point like the other team becomes some sort of reanimate, reanimated shambling corpse or I, I don't know, but it, it isn't good. It's not pretty. There's just like dead person juice all over the floor out there, and it's bad. So is this yeah, like um, a situation or more of like a, a necromancer type thing? It's tough to say. Just suffice it to say that our defense makes me think of a rotting corpse. Okay. Yeah, I think anytime the the game plan is to unzip ourselves even harder than they're unzipped, we're probably not in a good place. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, unzipping ourselves hard is a really treacherous line to walk. I know. I know. That's why we've lost at Butler and at DePaul. We just couldn't get unzipped. (laughs) I know it's going to come as a shock to you, but that phrase actually has other connotations (laughs) that I think we'd be best to steer clear of. Um, (laughs) Speaking of steering clear, um, in college basketball general news, uh, New Mexico State has chosen to steer clear of the rest of this season. Uh, they suspended the entire coaching staff and forfeited the last six games of their season. Now, New Mexico State was in the news in um, in December because of an uh, incident where uh, one of their players 
uh, was involved in a fatal shooting. Um, and so this is not linked to that. Brad, can you um, can you just kind of walk us through what is going on with New Mexico State? Um, and yeah, I mean, if it's not linked to the shooting, what is this linked to? That is... I, I mean, it was shocking to me. I saw that their season uh, was initially suspended and the entire coaching staff um, had been laid off. Their head coach is Greg, I'm going to say Hayer, but I'm from Ohio, so I just kind of say things however I feel like it. Um, he's in his first year at New Mexico State. And yeah, they had one of their guys involved in a fatal shooting and that didn't cancel the season. And then something else happened that was so bad that it overshadowed the death of someone and ended their season. Uh, what that was, was hazing accusations, a player on the team who last I checked had not been named um, for his own uh, privacy and safety, went to the school and made a complaint of hazing. Um, the incident that finally led him to complain involved a I mean, this isn't super not safe for work, but I guess if you listen to this with your kids, maybe you don't want to. Uh, you maybe have them step out of the room for a second here, but he uh, was made to stand uh, nude in front of the team, bend over, and then people repeatedly spanked him. And again, kid warning, uh, caressed his scrotum. So uh, this was in front of the entire team. No one on the team did anything to stop it. I guess three players on the team were involved in the actual uh, spanking and caressing not in like a valentine -y kind of way, but in like a corporal hazing kind of way. Uh, to this guy's credit, he didn't just take this. Um, I think that that's good. He went and reported it immediately. Criminal charges aren't currently being sought by the victim. I don't know whether the state will end up bringing them, but the school was like, listen, uh, that that's enough of this out of you guys. Clearly the basketball team is off the rails here. Um, I think that uh, Hayer is today being called in front of their board of regents to answer for what's going on. I'm assuming that he will be dismissed with cause um, and they're not going to pay him for anything. But yeah, they have forfeited their last six games. Their position in the league is going to be frozen and they won't pay. They will not play in the league tournament. Um, they were terrible anyway, so that's not going to have a huge impact on anything that's happening in their conference. But uh yeah, somehow they managed to have one of their guys shoot and kill someone, and that is not the worst thing uh, that happened to that program this winter. Yeah, so uh, I think he pronounces his name higher, or at least that's how I've been pronouncing it for all of my, this wasn't the good higher puns. But if you look <laughs> at his, uh, his coaching career, his only other head coaching job was at Chipotle, Chipola, which is a junior college that has a reputation for playing fast and loose with the rules. Then he had assistant coaching jobs against Larry Eustacey, who had gotten fired for misconduct, uh, Greg Marshall, who got fired for misconduct, and Will Wade, who got fired for misconduct. And now nine, nine wins and 15 losses into his Division I coaching, head coaching career. Um, I think he's going to get fired for misconduct. So I um, I don't have specific knowledge that he's been involved in misconduct everywhere he's gone, but there's a lot of smoke following this particular fire around, and um, 
he's probably going to be poisoned for a long time. So I did not um, realize that. How many times since 2012 do you guys think New Mexico State has missed the tournament? Since 2012. Yeah, so that's the last 10 tournaments. Because 2020, there wasn't one. You feel like they're usually in there as like a 13 or 14 seed. I'd say I'd say they're half and half on making it. Oh, I was going to say they've probably made it six or seven times. They have missed the tournament twice in a decade, um, which was surprising to me. They're uh, a fixture uh, in the NCAA tournament and, um, of course, actually won a game last year. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Who would lose to them in March? Um, probably somebody with a questionable coach. Uh, <laughs> it was etiquette. <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah, that is a, a program that, I mean, they're not, you know, they don't make the final four or things like that, but they have some history and um, they are shutting down their season and will not participate in any postseason games. Also, I noticed that there was a statement from WAC Commissioner Brian Thornton. Um, and uh, good news, he's falling on the right side of history here by being like, that was uncool. Um, so, uh, good job, Brian. Way to go. Uh, proud of him. Proud proud he played for us. Um, one of the other things that, that happened this weekend um, was... Uh, a weird thing that happened in the Northwestern Purdue game. Uh, Chris Collins just grabbed Fletcher Lawyer for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> um, Brad, should we be outraged? Um, that depends on, I think, how you want to see this. I personally see it as hilarious. Um, for anyone who hasn't seen the video, I will uh, retweet it from our account. But Chris Collins, uh, there's 12 seconds left in the game against Purdue. He steps onto the court, grabs Fletcher Lawyer, and either points at Lawyer or points in the area. For whatever reason, Northwestern was wearing black for what was ostensibly a, for a home game. And I don't know if Collins got confused, briefly saw a guy in a white jersey, assumed we were at home, grabbed him and wanted him to do something. Or if he was grabbing him and saying, hey, somebody come guard this guy over here. He's a pretty good basketball player. Either way, lawyer gives him the what are you doing, man, arms, and then runs off. It doesn't really change the impact of the game. Um, unless, you, like you had posited, he palmed a thumbtack and was using it to scratch his arm. Nothing serious happened. Um, it's just super weird. All Kind of along the lines of Shaka Smart wandering onto the court um, in the first game against Marquette. It, it didn't change the impact of or it didn't change the outcome of the game didn't impact the game at all so of course uh twitter is outraged and is demanding that he be i think i saw some the most egregious thing i saw was somebody saying that he should be suspended for the season because he touched an opposing player and i need to this is not a new mexico state style touching he just reaches out and grabs the guy's arm he's not trying to hurt him there's it doesn't appear that there's any sort of nefarious intent here and he immediately puts his hand up like, what the heck am I doing right now? It's more funny than anything. Um, I highly recommend people watching the video 
uh, to see three seconds of a grown man and a college kid being very confused as to what exactly is going on. One of them by his own actions. Yeah, like legitimately looks like, what am I doing right now? <laughs> One of the replies was, that would have gotten you punched immediately by Jawan Howard. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, it does kind of look like he grabs him and then uh, number one on Northwestern, as he points at Fletcher Lawyer, number one's like, oh, yeah, that guy. Um, So I don't know if he was telling them to come guard this guy or what. Um, The ball, I don't think, was live when this happened. I think it was on an inbounds play, but um, it was weird. I don't know that it made uh, a whole lot of sense. Um, but I don't know that it made a difference either. So, um, who knows? No one has spoken about it. That game happened on Sunday. Um, we're recording on Tuesday and no one's been like, yeah, here's what happened. Um, so, um, Michigan state has had to cancel games because of a shooting on their campus. Um, Joe, I mean, is this (laughs) what, uh, Does this have an impact on their season? Obviously, it has an impact on their campus community. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's awful. What, like, I mean, this is not the first time that we've talked about gun violence on our fairly niche college basketball podcast that upwards of a handful of people listen to. Um, It... According to the Gun Violence Archive, which I know a lot of people have uh, have feedback for, this is the 67th mass shooting of the year, uh, which is defined as four or more people shot, not including the gunmen. Um, I know people will be, you know, have complaints about, you know, it's gang on gang violence or whatever. It doesn't matter if you have been on the scene or been party to uh, something where four or more people have shot. It's horrible whether or not they deserved it. Uh, This does not involve people who deserved it, to the best of my knowledge. Um, Three people killed, five critically wounded um, over two different parts of the campus. um, Gun violence is basically the only context where it's this easy for a 43-year-old man to kill this many college kids and uh, then himself. Uh, The dude got... The the suspect slash guy who we all know did it and then shot himself um, was arrested in June of 2019 in Lansing and charged with a uh, felony weapons offense. He pled that down to a misdemeanor, which got him his his right to legally carry a gun back. And this is what he has done with the the ability to carry a gun. I don't really have anything to say about gun violence that I haven't said before many, many times. I will say um, I've seen one video of the response to this, and it is college kids running one way and law enforcement personnel running the other way. And um, everybody's had feedback for the police, especially in the like the Uvalde situation, and rightly so. Uh, those guys all deserve to be fired into the sun, um, but. The, the boys in blue uh, did their job, and what a nightmare to show up on a, a campus that large, not knowing uh, where you're looking or who you're looking for, 
and uh, just run in when everybody else is running out. So if we want to take one positive note from that, it's that uh, those guys did what they signed up to do. But other than that, um, I, Michigan, Michigan State's campus is obviously reeling. This does not – I mean, there's no way this doesn't affect the team and the mentality of the players. And uh, it's just another another chapter in the weird and bizarre saga of guns in the USA. And now um, innumerable lives are probably permanently altered, including, of course, the uh, the five people who got shot and are suspect expected to survive and the, the three who passed away. I just like my my oldest is getting to the point where she's half heartedly looking at colleges now. Um, I, I can't imagine what this must be for, like, her parents who just sent their kid off to college. Um, assuming that, you know, the worst thing that was going to happen is they met somebody who's in a fraternity. Um, and I, yeah, I mean, what an, what an awful thing to have to go through, uh, case Western up here got locked down yesterday cause there was a gunman on campus. Uh, and I had a friend whose wife works right there and was under lockdown and he was obviously freaking out, uh, cause that's what you do in a situation like this. And I just... I, I can't imagine the feeling that must go through someone's head uh, when their kid is involved in this. Um, it makes me want to look into homeschooling for college because it's just frightening. I hope that Michigan State can uh, recover as best as one does from this. And yeah, I, I think we've said everything before, but awful. Awful, awful to talk about this on a college basketball podcast. Yeah, so uh, I've not read anything about if and when they will um, they will continue their season, but obviously there are bigger bigger fish to fry uh, up in East Lansing currently. Um, on a somewhat lighter note, um, um, anything. Anything will be on a lighter note, I think. It's a tough segue. I'm not going to lie. But um, Duke lost, and they shouldn't have because, um, well, I don't know if you can necessarily say they shouldn't have lost. They should have had two free throws in a tie game with no time on the clock, though. Um, that you can necessarily say because uh, Kyle Filipowski got fouled. <laughs> and, uh, anyway, Brad, I mean – a, how many free throws does he shoot if Mike Krzyzewski is still Duke's coach? And B, um, I mean, walk us through this scenario. How could you get this this wrong if you're a referee? Uh, the only way you can get this this wrong if you're a referee is if you... Uh, I, man, I don't know. <laughs> like, there's just no... Okay, so Filipowski gets fouled. There's time left on the clock. The ref throws the hand up. Um, exuberantly indicating that a Duke player has been fouled because that's what referees do. Um, to answer your first question, had Krzyzewski still been the coach, Filipowski would have shot until Duke won the game. Um, you know, if that took him six or seven free throws to finally knock one down, which the way he was shooting them that game seemed like it might have, you know, that's how many they would have gotten. He was, uh, Philip Filipowski was not having one of his best games to that point. He played 30 minutes and scored no points. On 0 for 5 from 2, 0 for 1 from 3, and 0 for 2 from the line. So, of course, that's who you run your last play for. 
Uh, but he got fouled. The referees clearly indicated that a foul had occurred. The ref's hand goes up. The whistle blows. There's time left on the clock. They then go to look at the clock because, again, that's what referees do and come to the conclusion that the game is over. Well, I'm sorry, not that the game is over, but the regulation has ended uh, and we're going to be going to overtime. Uh, Duke's coach is obviously beside himself because he knows the rules of basketball and also can recognize numbers. Uh, there should have been at least two tenths left on the clock. I mean, it it's simple. It, like, I don't know. As bad as the call in the Xavier game was, and I know we're going to kind of flow right into that, this one is worse because it's just very clear that there's time left on the clock when this foul happens. All you have to do is look at the referee's hand in the air or listen for the whistle and look at the clock to see that it doesn't show zeros, which is really, really easy to do. Um, the TV coverage of it is kind of hilarious. Uh, the online commentary of it is kind of hilarious. Listen, no one is sad that this happened to Duke because um, as somebody wrote on Reddit, 10,000 more times of them getting screwed by the referees and they'll be back to about even. Um, so they lost. It's funny that they lost. It's funny that they lost because of the referees. Unless you're concerned about the integrity of college basketball, which I kind of am. Uh, and then this is just an absolute joke of a call. I, I don't know how you get something this wrong, but it happened on back-to-back -back nights, and it, it's it's shocking. Somebody said that it's the same referee. Yeah, as, yeah, it's Jeffrey you. Anderson again. Um, yeah, you can like every single fan base in college basketball, at least at the high major level, not only feels like this was karmic, but has a specific game and call in mind that this is starting to uh, to pay Duke's debt back for. So nobody feels bad. Uh, the only other thing I have to add here is the way that the rule is written is that um, even if time had run out, if the ball's in the air from the shot, the player is entitled to not get fouled during the whole shot sequence. So as long as the ball's off his hand before the horn, if the contact comes after the horn, that's still a foul. That should send him to the line uh, for basically an untimed down worth of free throws. So they, I mean, they they had a safety blanket in not screwing this one up and somehow managed to screw it up even harder. And that was the thing is the um, ACC's explanation was that the foul occurred after zeros hit the clock, but that does not matter according to the rule. If if he was in the act, still in the act of shooting, if unless time expired with the ball in his hand, which... I don't know how you can make that claim, but then I don't know how Jeffrey Anderson does most of the things he does on the court. Um, then it wouldn't matter that it was all zeros when he got fouled uh, because he's entitled to land. And <laughs> obviously, Reese Beekman did not let him. So, uh, yeah, um, there, was, I just, there was a there's... statement released by the ACC about how this was messed up. Uh, obviously, Jeffrey Anderson has faced repercussions. Actually not. He worked again the next day because he fell. <laughs> this isn't a tough one, though. This is OK. The Xavier one, I get the goaltending basket interference is kind of complicated. But this is Joel and I played in a tournament. What is now decades ago? The same thing happened and it was being refereed by guys who I think probably mostly did junior high games. 
I got fouled after time had run while the ball was in the air. And they very correctly got together and were like, yeah, that's still a foul. This isn't like a hard rule to know. If you play basketball, you know that you're allowed to finish shooting without someone running you over. And these referees were like, nah, looks good to us. Not only did we call the foul before time had run out, he then gets hit after time had run out and we're good with all of it. If he'd have gone out to center court and been like, yeah, we're screwing him over because it's Duke. I think everybody would be fine with it. But when they pretend that's the right call, it just, it ruins it for everyone. And like now, if someone's shooting a buzzer beater, best thing to do is just uppercut them. Hit them with the truck stick, buddy. (laughs) Just, just full Ronnie Lott, spear the dude out of the air and be like, but it was zeros on on the score. Um, (laughs) You don't want to make sure it's zeros before you do that. <laughs> Otherwise, they are getting a lot of free throws. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, so <clears throat> I don't know. Um, that brings us back to Xavier because Xavier, um, I don't want to say they lost because of the rest. They lost because they didn't play very well. And by the way, people have been like, well, Coach Miller didn't have anything to say about the call. Of course he didn't. Because he knows that Jeffrey Anderson's going to ref Xavier again. Because, like, say he goes out there and is like, yeah, the call was wrong. That guy's stupid. Okay, well, then next time he just screws you over harder because there is no, there's no oversight for him. Like, he could walk out there and immediately eject Sean Miller from the game. No one's going to do anything because no one cares what the refs do. So, of course, Chuck Coach Miller was like, yeah. It wasn't because of the call, because he wants a call next game. Uh, anyway, Brad, uh, rule 15.2.a, or dot two dot a, depending on what. Uh, anyway, uh, what does it say? And are we right to think we got, uh, we lost because of the wrong call being made? Uh, yes, we are right to think that. Um... I have a copy of the college basketball rules saved on my phone. I know that that makes me super cool. Uh, if I went to parties, it would make me the life of the party, I'm sure. But that's just where I am as a person, and I'm okay with it. Uh, 15-2A is basket interference. Uh, 15-1 says that it's a violation to commit basket interference or goaltending. So we need to start there. It's a violation, which means that points can be assessed from it. It's not a foul. Basket interference, uh, and this is A1, this is very, very important. Basket interference occurs when a player touches the ball or any part of the basket when the ball is on or within the basket. This is not a cylinder rule. So A1 basically means for basket interference to occur, you got to touch the basket while the ball is touching the basket. It's not a cylinder rule. If you touch the ball while any part of it is within the cylinder, that's different. But again, that's not what happened here. Um, and no one is arguing that's what happened here. Uh, so 2A3, or A4, sorry, says that if you pull down a movable ring, by which it means the hoop, I don't know why they call it a movable ring, but that means the hoop. Uh, so that it contacts the ball before the ring returns to its initial position. So if you grab the hoop and use it to launch the ball up into the air, which we've all seen and is funny every time, uh, you can't do that either. 
Although I think that would add some hilarious strategy to the game. Shot goes up. You just grab the rim and launch that beast. As long as it doesn't hit the ball, you're good. Um, or cause the bas- basket or backboard to vibrate when the ball is in or within the basket, backboard, or in or on the cylinder. So basically, you can't grab the ring and use to launch the ball. You also can't slap the basket or backboard or grab it to make it move while the ball is on the basket or in the cylinder. So that brings us to this play. Everybody's seen the replay a dozen times. Um, I posted some still photos of it in an article I wrote in which you can clearly see that there are hands on the rim while the ball is heading toward the rim. So again, it's important to note the call here is not goaltending. It's basket interference. The first person to interfere with the basket is the guy who's shooting the ball. Uh, He takes it up left-handed. You're allowed to touch the basket, by the way, obviously, if you're dunking it. Um, That's clearly enumerated in the rules. If part of your shooting motion carries you into the hoop that's not illegal because otherwise dunking the ball would be real difficult and some layups would actually be kind of difficult but we've got eric hunter heading towards the hoop he's laying it up left-handed he uses his right hand to grab the rim that is immediately basket interference and it should be basket interference on butler and that is reviewable he's the first person to contact the rim somehow they missed that Colby Jones is then coming backside. Jack Nungy has nothing to do with this other than providing um, a really good example of shot block face as he goes up to try to get this shot. Um, He's got like a full cringe grimace, teeth gritted thing going. He intends to pound this off the backboard like he did the last one that he was wrongly called for goaltending for. Um, Colby Jones then comes is coming weak side as he tries to get to the ball. He realizes he's not going to. He pulls up. And he also contacts the rim. This is after Hunter has. Jones does not make contact with the rim until the ball. um, There's a really good picture of it in our article if people want to see it. Until the ball is on the other side of the square. So not in the cylinder. So that doesn't apply. Uh, He also does not use the rim to launch the ball into low earth orbit. As hilarious as that would have been. So Colby Jones, by definition and by rule, does not commit basket interference. The referees take their time. They go look at this and they award to Butler the two points. We're all aware of that. I would love to hear. And here's where your thing about oversight comes in. Um, If anybody out there watches like the EPL, they know there's the PGMOL where basically if there's a disputed call, the referees league comes out and says, this is why it was. And they always say it was the right call, but or occasionally they issue an ACC style apology. But. I don't understand what the ruling is here. There's no explanation of it. I know the rules. Um, When I first moved up uh, to this area, like every struggling newly married guy, I was looking for other sources of income. So I refereed basketball games because I love basketball. So I had to kind of learn the rules to do that. Well, actually, I guess I didn't need to learn the rules to do that. I could have just kind of done whatever I felt like. Um, I don't know what the explanation is here. They just got the call wrong. There's no way that this was, there is no way when applying the rules that this was a violation on Xavier. If anything, Hunter should have been called for basket interference because he grabbed the rim while he was trying to lay the ball up with his other hand, and you're not allowed to do that. That was long-winded. That's the rule. Here's my two takeaways from that. The first is I feel bad for Jack Nungy because he had maybe the two best blocks I've ever seen him have, and both of them were wrongly called for goaltending. And the other is that you mentioned the Premier League. 
they put out a statement yesterday that uh, one of their dudes blew a call and he was suspended for two games. So it is possible to have oversight on the officials. The NCAA just decides not to. Well, yeah, obviously, because <laughs> you have to pay someone to do that. Um, I do think what's also pertinent is who the initial call was on. Because I believe, although he's never going to have to explain, so none of us actually know, I think the initial call was on Jack Nungy, um, who I think touched the ball, but not when it was in the cylinder, not when it was particularly close to being in the cylinder. But the explanation that a lot of people gave was that the call would have gone on Colby Jones, which the initial call was on Jack Nungy. If you review it, you can't change who the call is on, correct? Who knows? Uh, yeah, I, I would say no, but I'm just not. It isn't clear at this point what exactly happens because no one ever has to answer. So I don't know if there was a call it was on Colby Jones because Jack Nungy very clearly does not commit a goaltend and the call on Colby Jones would have had to have been basket interference. But like you said, we don't know. They don't, they don't have to say anything. So we just, we are left to sit here, the three of us in our various places across the mid Atlantic guessing what happened. Yeah. So, I mean, that is, uh, it, it obviously was irritating as a Xavier fan because, uh, Butler was handed two points with, you know, also, here's another thing. They went to the monitor. They do all of this. They miss the fact that they should have added 1.2 uh, seconds to the clock because when the call is made, the clock is on 3.8. But when Xavier inbounds the ball, they only had 2.6. So when he blows the whistle, the clock's at 3.8. You can't take 1.2 more seconds off the clock. They missed that too. So, um, it's a clock issue at Tinkle. That's weird. All of this to say, right? All of this to say, um, I don't know that. Is there a point in having replay in college basketball? I mean, has it actually improved the game? Uh, in my opinion, they should just scrap it because it's not improved the game, but it has made the end of games even slower than before because it's you know every time the ball goes out of bounds we have to have 45 seconds to go check and see how much time should be on the clock unless you're playing a hinkle in which case they ignore it and just give butler two points for no reason um i don't know do you guys think that replay has actually improved the game at all or is it something that the the ncaa would be better off without oh definitely better off without it just like you said, the end of a game becomes an absolute grind in a way that's not really super fun to watch. And then they, in return, they don't even improve the accuracy of the outcomes. So, um, you know, I'm just so sick of a game stopping for three minutes so they can add two tenths of a second to a clock. It's, it's brutal. Uh, guys, like Augie, I like the idea of replay more than it's necessary. Like. How many times are we watching? I mean, in March, we're all together to watch the tournament. You look at it, 
you in 10 seconds, you go, oh, yeah, it hit off of that guy and it went out of bounds. Or, oh, yeah, there should be a second left on the clock. If the ref jogged over, looked at it and was like, oh, yep, off him, I'd be okay with it. But that's not what they do. Um, I think replay could make the game better, but you're both right. The way it's currently implemented, it makes the game worse. Okay, and Brad, you are a rules nerd. What is the signal for basket interference? Oh boy. Um I don't I don't know that, honestly. But it seemed to be a seven step dance move. I don't think that's it. Um, at least when I was refereeing and I went through the classes, at no point in time are you supposed to take more than what they said, three hopping steps. And obviously that's for a big charge call. You get three hopping steps and then a lean step, they call. Otherwise, you've committed what's called a referee travel, and you actually have to award both teams technical free throws. So uh, seven hopping steps should have been a violation there. Yeah, yeah. The, the spanky leg is referenced in the rule book, but it's only for <laughs> shot clock violations. So another, another minor misapplication of the rules there that went overlooked. Anyway, uh, enough about that. It was a bad call. Um, and honestly, uh, yeah, I think that refereeing at the end of games is uh, a big issue. Um, we've seen it twice. Anyway, um, so Xavier now is four and three in their last seven with losses to Butler and DePaul in that span. They also lost at Creighton, which uh, everyone's doing these days. It's, it's the hottest thing. I actually lost at Creighton last week. Uh, just so I can feel like I was a part of something. Anyway, uh, are you worried at all? I mean, is this, I don't want to <laughs> sound the alarms, but it is February and Xavier is not playing as well as they were in December. Uh, are you concerned, Joel? Um, A little bit. I think Xavier's outcomes were probably always a little bit better than their metrics were. When we came into the, Big East season. Obviously, we started with the bye game. That is Georgetown and beat the breaks off of them. Then we won six games by a total of 33 points, which isn't exactly lighting the world on fire. And several of those uh, came down to just late game execution, which fortunately we had at that point in time. Um, pooped the bet against DePaul, then uh, turned around to beat Georgetown because obviously. But really, the only, the only decent team that Xavier has blown out or even really looked on top of is St. John's. And that was, uh, you know, they've done that kind of twice now, but they managed to bring it back close at the on the away leg. I'm sorry, but they, they beat the brakes off of them at home, which was fun. They've lost roadies to, to Butler and to Paul which is irritating at Creighton was probably always going to be a loss with the combination of how good Creighton is at home and just how good Creighton is in general right now. So since January 18th, which is the, the DePaul game, Xavier's 44th in the Torvik, which is a, uh, a step back, but probably not a gigantic one. Uh, their wins above bubble is exactly zero. So they've been treading water for, for just shy of a month in that regard. And then obviously the last three games have been without Zach Fremantle, which makes a difference. Um, you know, when we knew that was going to be a big deal, we didn't necessarily think it was going to be a lose to Butler big deal. But 
I think there's reasons to believe that this is different than the uh, the traditional February nosedive we've seen the past several years. Um, you know, maybe get Zach back healthy, maybe work on a couple things. Depth is never going to be there, but if we could just have like maybe one more wrinkle offensively, which is what a, a healthy Fremantle brings, then I think the team is going to be fine. Uh, but we always knew it was a, a seven-man squad that can't play defense. and over the last seven games, it's looked like a seven and then a six man squad that can't play defense. So I am um, disappointed that we can't keep getting the same results that we were, but I'm not necessarily surprised and I'm not super alarmed by it. It's still going to come down to whether or not we can score like 1.2 points per possession while we allow 1.1 in March. Yeah, I think. Um just kind of looking at at some of the numbers here when you talk about this year as compared to last year so last year through their first uh 14 big east games xavier was uh 69 in <laughs> in torvik and uh 68th in wins above bubble with negative 0.1 so this year i mean they're 27th and Torbic in that span and their ninth and wins above bubble with 3.3. I think this is going differently than the last couple of February's have gone. Um, or at least Xavier is in a better spot than they were mid-February the last couple of years because of what they've gotten done early in the Big East season. So, I mean, Joel, where are they as far as seeding right now? And are they still in a healthy position is this still uh, a team that you know looks like a shoe in for the tournament yeah so if you go to the bracket matrix uh xavier is right now the last three seed uh, just above marquette but i think the biggest thing to look at is the lowest they are in any bracket is five and that is after um they laid neg at butler so the general consensus is that that was obviously not good but it's not crippling and as much as we hate Butler, that is still a, a Q2 road loss. Um, you know, Bracketologists has their strength of record as 11th. Bart Torvik has their wins above bubble as 12th. They're still 6-4 and four in Q1 and 5-1 and one in Q2. Their only really bad loss is DePaul. You know, the it stings because I hate Butler more than it stings because of what it does to the to the resume. Xavier's still solidly positioned. Um, you know, a, an optimist might look at a way to Marquette and see that as a chance to pick up a really, really big win and kind of do the same thing that we did uh, losing to the Paul and then coming back to beat UConn if we lose to Butler and then come back to beat Marquette. I don't know exactly how that's going to be accomplished, but I'm not going to rule it out. But um, if the Muskies can just take care of business, down the stretch, they'll be, well, I mean, that, they'll already have done more than they did the past couple of years. But, um, you know, the Ken Palm predicts them finishing 15 and 15, or I'm sorry, 15 and five in conference. So that's four and two down the stretch. If they do that, they're going to be just fine on selection Sunday. Um, probably the conference title and almost certainly the chance at a uh, solo conference title has gone. But if they, you know, just do what they're projected to do. We'll uh, 
we'll be we'll all be happy on selection Sunday. I don't even think they need to do that four and two. Honestly, they've got the Paul Villanova and Butler at home. Win those three, lose the three roadies, and I think they're still still would be just fine. But yeah, picking up a win at maybe Seton Hall or Providence would be nice. Okay. Um, so one of the things, I mean, Sue Boom is currently nursing a bit of an ankle injury. Brad, I mean, is he, do you think as the team comes down the stretch, he's getting tired because of the amount of minutes he's played, or is he just um, maybe in a little bit of a slump? So in the last 11 games, which is basically the year 2023, uh, he's averaging 36 minutes a game. Uh, his slash line is good, 14.6 points, four boards, five assists. His shooting is not, um, and his shooting has been declining a lot more recently. In those last 11 games, Sule's shooting 37% from the floor, um, which is troubling. Uh, in the last 11, 31.6% behind the arc and only 42.5% inside the arc. So he's not been doing well um those are they're just bad numbers there's not really any way to look or that's basically uh a scruggsian shooting line only somehow a little bit worse inside the arc is is what that is um he just shoots a lot more than paul scruggs did but i think that's a lot of that just has to do with the wear and tear on his legs um i mean he's played more he's played 40 minutes twice and he's played more than 40 minutes once um and then there's just a smattering of 39s 38s 37s in there i think the guy plus he's old uh, legs aren't what they were when he got into got into college half a decade ago um i don't know how you rest him but xavier needs to find a way to rest him because in those last 11 games uh, he's not playing well. Um, the fact that he shoots free throws really well has papered over those cracks. Um, he is shooting 90% from the line in that stretch, but he's not playing well otherwise. He's shooting a lot, and he's not shooting well. Um, so X has got to figure out a way, I think, to take some of the strain off of him or or just be content with him being a bad volume scorer. Okay. Um, looking at uh, a couple of questions here. So just real quick, right from the hip, ignoring the quad rating. This one's from Southern Muskie. Ignoring the quad rating of each team uh, and Xavier's chances at winning the Big East regular season title, which loss was worse, DePaul or Butler? Butler. Definitely Butler. It's psychologically more damaging to me. That place is a barn. The fans are obnoxious. Uh, for some reason, we lose it to Paul fairly frequently, and I, I mean, I almost feel bad for the DePaul fan base, the Butler fan base. I have only antipathy for. Yeah, I, I think uh, the DePaul, the DePaul loss is worse for me because he didn't say like more. He just said ignoring the the quad rating and stuff. I think that it's more damaging to the resume. So head. Says DePaul was worse, but Hart, I'm with you guys. I hate losing to Butler, and I despise Thad Matta. Um, so seeing anything good happen to him uh, makes me physically ill. 
I'll be honest, I wouldn't care if the DePaul loss meant that Xavier missed the tournament. I would still hate oh. Luke Butler more. Uh, I just hate those guys. Anyway, um, we got one from John Hollinsworth at Not Drunk KP. So John was sober when he tweeted this. Uh, <laughs> it, it's a fine thing to tweet. Um, how do we prevent Jeffrey Anderson or Brian O'Connell from officiating our games ever again? Maybe an elaborate traffic scheme to force them to miss their flights. Uh, Sonder Muskie did suggest trying to get them onto the no-fly list, and I do think he's onto something here. I, my first thought was get Interpol involved um, for crimes against basketball. Um, but, I, I mean, I don't know if you guys had anything. You know, obviously I'm not condoning committing any crimes, um, but I would prefer if those guys never have to say here again. Yeah, I like You don't like crimes aren't okay. Are hijinks okay? You know, some shenanigans. Yeah, I'm talking like fill their shoes with gravel in the locker room so like they can't make it out onto the court. You know, super glue their hands together, something like that. Absolutely. What about you know, like in some of those heist movies? What if we get somebody to? pretend to be from Ohio Edison or whatever, kind of block the road off and send their car in the wrong direction. That's kind of what I was thinking. Yeah. Or maybe, um, you know, I don't know, lock them in their locker room, Dante Jackson style. What if we just viciously kick them in the junk? Is that okay? That's what I want to do. Let's be honest here. That's a crime. Yeah. Dang it. I don't know all the laws. <laughs> that seems bad. Um, it's time for Xavier Player of the Week. Cue the theme music. Obviously, it's February and Xavier lost to Butler, so that was the sound of silence by Simon and Uncle. <laughs> Brad, I mean, do you even <laughs> do you even want to do it this week? <laughs> I, how about I just say a name? Colby Jones. He played a decent game, but that game sucked. Uh, it was depressing. Uh, Joel, who do you have? Adam Kunkel. He scored 13 points. He was the only musketeer with a positive assist to turnover rate. Okay. I also went with Colby because uh, he he really, really came on in the second half to try and get Xavier back into that one. Um, and if the call was on him, that ended up uh, ending the game. He didn't deserve that. I thought he actually played decently well especially in the second half so um yeah final quick hit it's valentine's day so who was you guys first xavier love your first favorite player um mine was this is going to inform joel's too mine was gary lumpkin um i just loved that guy uh he was not the most heralded player on that team but i i felt like he made it tick and that was early enough um, in my cheering that I didn't like look at the metrics or know how many points per game he averaged. I just liked Gary Lumpkin and the way he played. Um, so he was my first Xavier Valentine. And mine was Lenny Brown. Um, I didn't think I cared neither for heraldry nor teams ticking. Um, I liked to shoot threes and he shot a lot of them. And I was like, Lenny Brown, baby. Gotcha. I um I actually was a big fan of James Posey. Um, 
not because he played defense, because I'm against that, most defense, uh, but um, because he uh, was so athletic. And when Xavier Ward run the X press, uh, he made things happen. Um, and I didn't realize at the time that he was playing good defense. I just thought stealing the ball from the other team is cool. Brad, I mean, are you going to disagree with my pick? Why is your hand no. up? No, because I was going to say one thing that he also made happen was pizza orders for us. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because we would always call in. We would call in and put it under James Posey. So dad had to walk into Papa John's and ask him to pick up an order for James Posey. And we were all at a point in time in our lives where we found that absolutely hilarious. Well, Papa John's wouldn't let you uh, use multiple coupons. <laughs> so we would be like, okay, well, then we have a second order. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was funny. Sorry, Papa John's um, for that. But uh, anyway, that is it for us this week. Um, Xavier's back in action. Tough road trip to Marquette and then come home to hopefully get healthy against DePaul. So we'll be back with you guys next week. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you.